0: Welcome to our Ecclesia study where we investigate the claims of the Bible. For many people, one of the main deterrents to accepting the teachings of Jesus is the noticeable disconnect between what Jesus taught and what many self professed Christians say and do. As we investigate the Bible, we look into how C.I. Schofield and his reference Bible have influenced literally thousands of evangelical pastors and millions of evangelical Christians into fervently believing that the modern state of Israel is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy and should be revered and supported without question, in spite of its undemocratic and inhumane treatment of both Christian and Muslim Palestinians for over 60 years of occupation. Our study leader is Mark Horton. To get notices of our new Bible examination programs, Go to our website, whtt.org, and enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right-hand side of the website. Thanks for joining in our quest. In today's Bible examination, we're continuing in our study of Hebrews, and it's been a really fascinating one. We thank Mark Horton for leading us through this very thorough investigation into the book of Hebrews, it was always a um, a hard book for me to understand anyway, and what uh, Mark has done is actually shed a lot of light for me. And so um, we're starting in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12, and we'll open with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you again that we have these opportunities to study your word together, and and thank you for Bible teachers like Mark Horton, who worked diligently to study and understand and then make the meanings clearer to us. And thank you for this time together, and we ask for a blessing on this and on Mark. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And good evening, Mark. Good
1: evening. It's good to be back with everyone. We are trying to wind down our look at the letter to the Hebrews, and we've finish chapter 11, which is commonly known as the Heroes Hall of Fame, and then as uh, we begin chapter 12, which, remember, is a later human distinction, all the chapter and verse divisions were done much, much later, we come back to the idea that as great as all of these people were, that Jesus Christ is the center of our spiritual existence, and that's who we need to keep our eyes focused on. And we were reminded uh, in verse 3 here that the people that hounded him to death were sinners, and he was uh, subject to extreme hostility, and yet he stayed the course And the audience of this letter also needed to stay the course. They, like Jesus, would bear the hostility of sinners. And in this context, those sinners, of course, are the non-believing Judeans. All right, well, let's uh, pick up with our reading here in chapter 12, verses 12 through 17, please. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Great. Thank you very much. Now, the context that we have been seeing through this letter is that these Christians are of Judean nationality, Uh, They are part of a synagogue community somewhere in the Roman world, somewhere far from Palestine. Greek is their language, everyday language. Their Bible study language is also Greek. And they are, as the hostility mounts and the persecution becomes near and imminent, some of them are considering just sitting back and doing nothing, like many churchgoers today who just sit in the pew and then race out at the end of services. But these Judean Christians had a very heavy responsibility because as we've alluded to numerous times and the book of Romans goes into much detail on this, God had foreordained a remnant to be spared as the nation of Judea was about to be utterly destroyed. And, the Judean Christians continued to follow the law of Moses zealously. We found that spelled out for us in black and white in the book of Acts. As Paul got back up to Jerusalem, James stated that they were all zealous of the law. They're staying as part of the Judean nation. They are staying as part of the Judean religion right up until the end. And they are trying to follow the law as it was truly intended to be followed, as Christ taught, for instance, at the Sermon on the Mount and other instances in the Gospels, to correct a lot of the abuses that had come in during the Babylonian captivity, the corruption of the ancient Israelite religion during that captivity, and the Pharisees and Sadducees uh, since that time had both come up with their own version, both of which were wrong, as again Jesus pointed out in the Gospels. So these Hebrew believers are to be in the middle of the Judean people in their synagogue communities setting a very high standard so that all of the righteous remnant of Israel could be saved. It was not enough for them to just sit back And do nothing. Now he's quoting from Isaiah 35, or at least alluding to Isaiah 35, which is a great uh, picture of the coming kingdom of God, of the desert blooming, of judgment coming, of the blind seeing, and of the lame leaping for joy. And so here we see that allusion to the lame joints uh, being healed. Here in verse 13, one part of that chapter in Isaiah says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, Be strong, don't fear. Behold, your God will come. He will come and save you. And back in chapter 10, verse 37, our writer had already told them, In a very little while the coming one will come. He will make no delay. Very strong sense of imminence uh, all throughout this book but particularly in these warnings that there will be persecution but there there will be a coming and judgment of the Lord and he will set things straight against those who are causing grief to his people the metaphor out of Isaiah 35 of of a, like a runner going lame is kind of abandoned here as we go into verse 14, where they are told to pursue peace with everyone. And this echoes what Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 12. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Uh, And again, in the specific context, I believe that these passages are specifically referring to the Judean synagogue Communities. They could easily grow bitter and hostile to the non-believers, to those who press the abuses of the scribes and the Pharisees, but yet God wants them to try to be at peace with these people again so that the remnant can be saved in the short time that remains before it is absolutely too late. The center of God's universe is Israel. And the entire Bible is a story of God's love and faithfulness to faithless Israel. And then of course the gospel is we've we've tended to couch it as an individual thing for each one of us, but the Bible expresses that it is about recreating Israel as a spiritual nation from of people from every race and walk under the earth to replace the old physical Israel which was one nation or race physical descendants of Jacob and so we do we talk about being born again but in the bible the the rebirth is actually Israel's rebirth and All of us who are brought into the kingdom of God, um, baptism is the normal uh, symbol of this, uh, an immersion in water, which represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ uh, from the grave. Those are brought into the new spiritual Israel, the new spiritual Jerusalem, and God wanted as many of the uh, righteous remnant of the old physical nation of Israel to, to come along and accept this invitation. And these Hebrew Christians are trying to set a high example. They are following the law of Moses and yet they are relying on the grace of God for their salvation. They are trying to avoid the evils that are all around them in their communities, the the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees and so on, which I believe he's alluding to in verse 14, the troubles and the infection, the, the Judaizing teaching that troubled so many of the churches uh, at this time. And then he talks about uh, fornication in verse 16, This could have two meanings. It could be literally talking about sexual fornication, but again, often in the Old Testament, God uses that as a a sign or a parable of idolatry and apostasy, which the Israelite nation kept falling into over and over again. At this time, they had far more trust in the temple and the priesthood In Jerusalem, then they did in God's Messiah, who he sent to them to save them. Just like Esau, everything was prepared for him to inherit the birthright, yet he sold it for a single meal. And the the kingdom of God was prepared for old covenant physical Israel, and yet most of them completely shunned it. So I'm seeing some uh, spiritual imagery here. Maybe I just have a little bit of a creative imagination. But then he concludes this paragraph, You know that when Esau later wished to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, finding no opportunity for a change of mind, although he begged for it with tears. And again, we know historically that the Judean nation was utterly and completely destroyed in A.D. 70, and there was no second chance physically or spiritually for any of those who had rejected God's Messiah prepared just for them. All right, your thoughts or comments or blasts, however you choose to present it. (laughs) I think that's a really good point that the the church uh, was originally in the Bible written to be to mean Israel. I've never even considered that concept, but it makes a lot of sense.
0: And, well, in you know, fact, your uh, point
1: about that as well. Yeah, the word church is not in the Bible at all. Church is an old mm-hmm. Scottish word that means church building. It's a terrible translation of ecclesia, which is a. A gathering it has a lot of the same meaning as the word synagogue a gathering of god's people it can mean called out assembly they're called out of the world or out of old israel but they are called into god's wedding feast again specially prepared for them from before the foundations of the earth but they, you know, they weren't interested. Christ used this imagery over and over in his parables. The people, the family members that the wedding feast were prepared for were too busy to come. And so he went out and called in strangers from the highways and the byways, gave them wedding garments as they came in the door. Again, representing the righteousness of Christ that the believer puts on by faith. And they came in and took the place of the original family who were too busy to come. And so the Bible is very Israel-centric. Our modern-day thought is church-centric, but church is strictly not a biblical concept or term. The ingathering of Israel is spoken of over and over and over again in the Bible, and it is when Israel would be brought back to life in their last days. They were spiritually dead. I mean, we see that. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus called them all kinds of horrible names because they were liars, deceivers, false teachers. They, they were spiritually dead. And yet Christ brought them back to life. They became the new creation as depicted in Ezekiel 37, the vision of dry bones. But when we see this story of the whole Bible, we see that dispensationalism is not just wrong. It's a complete mockery of God's eternal purpose to recreate Israel as a spiritual nation of believers. He can raise up stones as children of Abraham. And that's what He's done. We weren't any kin to him physically, but we have been made sons of Abraham by faith, and we are the new Israel, uh, the, the present-day nation called Israel in the Middle East has absolutely no connection with God's plan, purpose uh, at all when we see this true vision. All right, any other thoughts?
0: Thank you, that was great.
1: If not, then let's read verses 18 through 24, please.
0: For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel.
1: All right, great, thank you. So this contrast between the old physical Israel and the new spiritual Israel continues now uh, very explicitly in our writer's persuasive argument here for these Hebrew Christians to stand firm. Here we see the contrast uh, from Mount Sinai A physical mountain which is associated with the birth of physical Israel as a nation. And he he reminds us of the terror and horror that was associated with God's presence on that mountain. It's like a volcano with clouds of smoke and fire and noise and earthquakes. And the people, we, we read back in the book of Exodus, how they were absolutely terrified. And when they heard the voice of God, they begged him not to speak anything else because they were absolutely horrified by the sound of his voice. And he quotes here from Exodus 19, if a beast even touches the mountain, it is to be stoned. So there there was a distinct separation in Old Covenant Israel all the time between the people and God. The entire tabernacle and temple complex was built, designed and built to demonstrate the separation of these people from God as a result of the law. And this goes right back to the Garden of Eden, where two trees are singled out. And those two trees stay with us throughout the entire Bible story, all the way from the beginning of Genesis, all the way to the end of Revelation. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Old Covenant Israel was based on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were given the law here at Mount Sinai. And again, these signs of death and destruction were all around as they were given the law because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the Ten Commandments on the tablets and the law itself are all associated with sin and death. Anyone who was a kid in Bible class that talked about the Garden of Eden, you know, should know this, but the eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil did Adam and Eve no good at all, even though Satan assured them that they could depend on it. And I believe Satan is a picture of the Judean nation in the first century. It's uncanny. You read where the New Testament writers are talking about the adversary or the opponent, or Satan, and you can substitute the Judean leadership in nearly every verse, and it makes perfect sense. If they were not the spirit of Satan, they were everything that Satan was, and they were trying to accomplish what Satan was. Because what what were they telling the synagogues? What were they telling the Judean people? What were they even telling the Christians they were telling them, "Oh, don't worry about that Nazarene guy. Just look to the Law of Moses, right? Does that ring a bell with anyone?" Look, the Law is our Savior. The Bring forth your savior. sacrifices. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, you know we we look we tithe the herb gardens that we have in our window planters. We demand a place in God's presence by our perfect adherence to the law. Exactly what Satan is telling Adam and Eve. When you eat the tree, you will be just like God. You will know the difference between right and wrong. And the Judean leaders in the first century thought they were just like God. They knew the difference between right and wrong. So This is this contrast, and Mount Sinai was a picture of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of making the law your God. They were idolaters. The temple and the law were their gods, and so they didn't need God's Messiah. They weren't interested in God's Messiah when he came to restore God's presence to their midst, which had been missing since the Babylonian destruction of the temple and the disappearance of the throne, the Ark of the Covenant. So, here we see all this image of fear and trembling associated with the law of Moses. How many of you could base your hope of eternal life on following the law of Moses for a single day? (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm having to chuckle, but... (laughs) it it's so tragic i mean we have whole denominations uh, devoted to trying to get people to follow the law which i mean the the moral principles are good they are good moral principles and and they do reflect god's will for us and as sanctified believers we need to hold fast to godliness he's already encouraged uh, us to do that in this argument but we can't depend on our law keeping to gain a place with God for eternity. No, now he shifts from the negative to the positive in verse 22. No, the mountain that you have come to is Mount Zion. You have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, the word heavenly, we're all messed up because we have hundreds and hundreds of years of images of angels being white beings with a halo and wings sitting on the clouds playing a harp. And we think that's heaven or something. But the word heavenly in the Bible it actually is referring to the air, things of the air. But it's talking about spiritual things. He's talking about the spiritual Jerusalem. So... You know, why are so many people worried over who has control of
0: physical
1: Jerusalem today? Because they obviously haven't read this letter to the Hebrews, or they don't believe that it's true. The physical Jerusalem is part of the old age that's done and gone. These people have come. Not, oh, wait a few thousand years, you might get to see the heavenly Jerusalem. No. They had already come to the heavenly Jerusalem, according to our writer. So that spiritual mountain, which has a spiritual city, which has the spiritual temple on it, already existed, and they had already been gathered into it when they believed in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They had gone in to the wedding feast there. And this is the this church. It's really ecclesia. This is the in gathering of Israel. This is the recreation or rebirth of Israel as the spiritual Jerusalem, as the spiritual Mount Zion. Myriads, tens of tens of thousands of messengers in festal array because they're in. The wedding feast. They're wearing the wedding garment. These may not be angelic beings in white. These are, these may be believers who are messengers who carry the good news of the wedding feast and the gates of the city are open to the four corners of the earth, inviting any who want to come in to come in and join the feast that is going on to this assembly of firstborn ones who are enrolled in the heavenly kingdom. And, of course, the Judean Christians were the firstborn in the kingdom of God. The day of Pentecost that we find in Acts chapter 2, all the way down until we get to Antioch in Syria later on in the book of Acts, the gospel goes to the Judean first. They were the firstborn ones. To achieve the new life, the resurrection in Jesus Christ, to be enrolled in this heavenly Jerusalem with God, the judge of all. They've been gathered in with the spirits of the righteous who have attained perfection. Again, all, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Elijah and Samuel, all of these They did not achieve perfection by their good deeds or following the law. They achieved it by the blood of Jesus Christ, as verse 24 says, just like we do today. He is the mediator of a new covenant. The old covenant was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The new covenant is the tree of life, the root of Jesse, the Olive tree that where the the unfruitful top is swacked off and burned in the fire, and wild olive shoots are grafted in to bear fruit. It's the tree of life. It is Jesus Christ, because again, anyone who's in the New Jerusalem is the body of Christ. The New Jerusalem, the New Temple, is the body of Christ. It is a picture of Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah, the center of all spiritual things, the summation, the consummation of all spiritual plans of God to unify man with God in eternal life in one body that cannot be divided. All right, I'll hush. <laughs> Any thoughts or comments down through verse? Wow. Eight? that's that's amazing mark uh you tied the the very beginning of the Bible to the very almost to the very end and kind of really uh opened my eyes to a new concept with the knowledge of tree of good and evil and the the tree of life. just makes perfect sense thank you oh yeah well you know, you see it in revelation it's the tree bearing the twelve fruits, twelve is the number of Israel, the number of God's people, and the tree of life is bearing fruit for the healing of the nations 12 crops every year and there's 12 gates to the city yeah it's all the trees there <laughs> now the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil's there but it's all burned up it's the harlot riding the beast and they're burned up it's all consumed so it doesn't quite make it to the end but that's good news let's read verses 25 through 29
0: See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape it if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God, acceptable with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire.
1: All right. This contrast is continuing between the voice of God at Mount Sinai and the voice of God coming from Mount Zion. And I'll just be blunt. Jesus Christ is God. Jehovah or Yahweh in the Old Testament is the same thing as Jesus Christ. There is no distinction or difference. Jesus is 100% God as he was also 100% human. He wasn't 50-50, he was 100 and 100. It's the same voice here. But uh, again, we, we go from very horrible, physical, carnal things in the old, death and destruction, to life, spiritual life, in the new, which was always God's purpose. The old was just a necessary evil to bring us the new, You had to see the horror of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in order to see the beauty of the tree of life. But just as there was no escape for those who refused the voice on Mount Sinai, there would also be no escape for those who refused the voice calling from Mount Zion. Again, through all those messengers bearing the gospel, and they were all taking it to the Judean first and then to the foreigners all through the New Testament. The gospel went to the Judean first, and there would be no escape for those who refused to listen to God's voice calling from the new spiritual Jerusalem. Now, earth shook, and yet he promises once more, I will shake not only the earth but heaven. Also, quoting from Haggai chapter 2, Heavens and earth are covenantal language. The song of Moses begins, let heaven and earth listen up. And we've been told over and over again when Peter in Second Peter 3 is talking about the heavens and earth being consumed, that this is talking about the end of the physical universe. But this is not what Peter's talking about in Second Peter 3. He's talking about the same exact thing that our writer is writing about here in Hebrews 12. He's talking about shaking the heaven and the earth once more, which is indicative of the old covenant, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, yes, what's more, this portends the removal of the things which are shaken as belonging to the created order. They're physical They're physically created things so that the things which cannot be shaken, things that are spiritual may endure. The tree of life spiritual. The kingdom we receive is spiritual. It's unshakable. Then let us give thanks and bring God acceptable worship with humble reverence and awe for indeed our God is a consuming fire. Just as he consumed Amalek and Jericho and all those nations in the Old Testament, he was about to consume physical Judea for adultery and unbelief. And these readers had a heavy responsibility as messengers of the new covenant to call out all the righteous remnant of Israel before God would shake heaven and earth one more time and remove those things, because he is a consuming fire. And again, as Revelation pictured it, Jerusalem was stoned and burned, and she was consumed uh, in fire. And I, I believe personally, that is what Peter is talking about in Second Peter three. He wasn't. He's very urgently writing. He wasn't writing to his brethren to warn them that the earth would be completely destroyed in 4,000 years. That didn't really concern them. He was writing to tell them that in their lifetime, their whole known world would be utterly and completely destroyed by fire. And that's what our writer here is saying. Again, quoting Haggai 2, six once again, in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says Yahweh of hosts. As we nearly always see in the prophets, the prediction of the destruction of old physical Israel is combined with the promises of bringing in the other nations into the house of the Lord, the house of glory. So that's pretty clear. All of these predictions of the prophets talked about the future restoration of the throne of David, making Jerusalem and its temple the center of worship and allegiance for all nations, and our writer of this letter is interpreting that as the end of the present world order as an apocalypse where the old heavens and earth flee away from the face of the judge to be replaced by a new heaven and a new earth. And this is the whole theme of this letter to the Hebrews, the superiority of the new spiritual heavens and earth to the old physical heavens and earth, that the old covenant represented. All right. Anyway, thank you for participating. We'll pick up with
0: Hebrews 13 next time. Well, thank you, Mark. That was a powerful, powerful lesson.